You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. So we continue this conversation about solidarity. And I just want to say again, solidarity is tough. You know, if you in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, in your home, we recognize this is not easy for human beings to, to be on the same page, so to speak. And so, therefore, we must address it because the Bible speaks a lot about solidarity and unity, not for the sake of solidarity. That's not the end goal. It's not the, the end goal of the community and love and all those things that are spoken about a lot in the Bible. It's not the end goal that we just become nicer people. We are here on the planet to accomplish the assignments that God gives to us, his mission. And we will do that better if we are united and we do it in solidarity rather than splintered. It's no surprise that we, as we look at, you know, the media, we look at social media, look at the news, et cetera, that there is a splintering that's happening. And it seems to be, uh, by all appearances, that there are catalysts who are causing the splintering. Therefore, we fight even more to be united in accomplishing what God has given whether it's a local church, whether it's your family, whether it's a place of business, wherever that is, it's going to if you're trying to be together and you're trying to, you know, to be in solidarity and, and play like a team player, you are working against an undercurrent and recognize that for that reason. It's exciting for that reason. We need God. I, I was just looking at this this kind of little formula, so to speak, and I, I mean, it's a reality, and I think it's important for us that when we come together, when we're, when we're together as a church family or we're together in a group setting or maybe in disciple making, whatever that might be, that there are really three stages of change. I was telling my wife, Carrie, this morning, I'm like, you know what? Life change, modificating, mo- modificating. Is that a word? Modificating. <laughs> I have modificated a lot in my life. Uh, that's too close. No, I'm just saying. Let me just get wild out. Anyway, delete the tape and move along. So modification is what I'm trying to say. Modifying our behavior, man, it's tough for human beings, right? If you're trying to change your eating habits, if you're trying to change your exercise, if you're trying to change your reading habits, whatever that might be, it's tough for human beings. In the spiritual world, there are kind of these three layers. There's revelation, there's obedience, and then there's life change, transformation, right? So whatever spiritual thing you think you've discovered, you haven't. It's God revealing. You remember when Peter, when Jesus said, Peter, who do you say I am? And he said, you're the son of God. He said, you didn't get that on your own. It, we have to recognize that God, as we've just seen, is always working, even when we don't know it. So even those things are like, wow, you know, those light bulb moments, like, wow, that's God revealing. But it's not enough for us to have the wow moment, like, man, I never saw that before. The next step is so important to say, God, I want to act on that. And I'm asking for your power to obey that and to follow that thing. And then we get the transformation. So we must not fool ourselves that as we're talking about solidarity, we're not in our head and like, yeah, I totally get it. It really is, God, what do you want us to do? Solidarity is a mindset. Teamwork is a mindset. But there are tactics, there's practicality to it, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So 
We're going to begin with a picture today, and I don't want you to shout out the answer if you know the answer, but how many people know who this guy is up on your screen? How many, raise your hand if you think you know who it is. Yeah, keep them high. You're shy. Yes, keep them high. Okay, shout it out. Who is it? Who? Charles Spurgeon? No? Charles, huh? Charles, Charles Arthur? Wow, that's super impressive. How many of you that raise your hand like, oops, sorry, yes, <laughs> right? It's Chester A. Arthur, the 21st, yes, Charles, that's close enough. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, you would still win the prize. Yeah, give give this man an extra Coke or something. Yeah, wow. People are like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. So this is Chester A. Arthur, the 21st. President. Okay, there's only one person in the whole room that knew it. Okay, let me give you another point. How many people, just show of hands, know who this is? Okay. So is it disturbing to you at all that we don't know who the 21st president, but we do know this guy's name is who? You got it. It's like, I don't know the national anthem, but I could sing the Flintstone song or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. So, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Who's the sidekick? Pokey. That's right. I did look that up last night. Here's why in the world are we talking about Gumby and Chester A. Arthur? You know, Chester Arthur, he, he was not elected president. He was the guy that took Garfield's place, who got, unfortunately got assassinated. He was an unlikely choice of vice president, so even a more unlikely choice of president. He had a disease. He died early, 56 years old, and he knew that. And he, for that reason, he was kind of a one-term mindset. And he's like, I'm pretty inflexible and pretty independent. Didn't really care about getting along with anybody else. As opposed to Gumby, you see the you see the brilliant analogy. That guy is an idiot. No, sorry. So you know, Gumby could do this. Yeah, if you go to the next, see, uh, and and you could do this to Gumby. If you look at the next, you could do this to Gumby. We're talking today about an important practical tactic of solidarity. Guess what it is? Pliability, flexibility, right? flexibility. Why do we bring that up? Because life is unexpected. And if you don't have solidarity, let's take a sports team. A sports team goes out on the field or they go onto the court, wherever it may be, and it's all unexpected. Is there going to be an injury? Maybe our key player gets injured and now we have to be pliable enough to readjust. Maybe there is an unfair call by a referee, an umpire, whatever that may be, and we didn't count on, hey, the game's going to be slanted, so therefore, are they going to be calling fouls in this way, so we have to be pliable to do it this way. There's always an unknownness about your opponent. Oh, they changed up their defense, and we've been looking at the tapes all week, so we must change it up. Maybe there's weather conditions if the sports is outside and there's snow or there's rain or whatnot. In other words, when we're on the field of play, if we're not ready to be flexible and we turn out to be rigid, then guess what happens to solidarity? It's the syndrome I call, hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. That's not what we planned. 
That's not the pace and what we said we were going to do. That's not what we talked about. Hey, wait a minute. And then the old, the attitude can become contaminated. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you go on vacation and you're going to Disney, but you decided to go to a botanical garden. Just try it and just see how, hey, wait a minute. This is not Disney. You know, it's pretty cool until the kids get a certain age. You can actually fool them that it is Disney. You know, no, this is Disney. You've just never been there before. I was thinking about the military. I'm getting ready to go to Fort Bragg here in just a few weeks. They're, they're um, working with some Delta Force soldiers interested. They've been going through our small circle tools, our disciple making tools, modifying them to having flexibility to modify them to the military. And so I was thinking about the military and I, I read this article in Britannica. It said this. It's one thing to have a strategy. Hey, let's be on the same page. Let's be on. That's a, that's a strategy. Let's be a, let's be one team. Let's have solidarity. But entirely another thing to put that same theory into practice under different circumstances, on different kinds of terrain, against different kinds of enemy, with the aid of troops who may be tired, maybe they're confused, and amid every kind of mortal danger, flexibility is thus a cardinal principle of tactics when it comes to solidarity. Make sense? So we're going to return to our story. The story of Joshua. We chose this story because this is a story of solidarity. And this story of solidarity is because for many years they have now planned to cross over into Canaan or the promised land as the Bible refers to it. What we now know is that piece of real estate called Israel, a contested piece of real estate, by the way, as we all know. And they were getting ready to cross over. And now it was time for the troops to go. There were a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of unexpected things that were going to happen. And without pliability, the tactics, the practicability of, hey, we're going to be flexible here, it would have fallen apart and sometimes did fall apart with those who had a mindset of like, hey, wait a minute, when things didn't go as they're expected. So a few principles to pull out. Now, the cool thing about this is that we're talking about this as a church family, but this same thing applies, I promise you, to your marriages, to your family, to your parenting, to your workplace, wherever you are. If there's not an element of flexibility, there will not be solidarity. Okay, so here's some here's some principles. Here's the first thing we have to be pliable with pacing with our pacing. What does that mean? That means that sometimes change happens in a family or in an organization faster than you had expected. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't get that plan. I didn't get the memo. How come Bob knows? I don't know. How come that person knows? I didn't know. Or could be the opposite. Have you been tuned into a couple of airlines who've had some, let's say, issues in the last couple of weeks? couple of airlines, if you haven't caught the news, they've had massive cancellations. I've got trips lined up, some training trips lined up here in the fall. And just this morning, I got another modification of schedule. Fortunately, this was a good change for me, but there have been people who have stuck in the airport. And when you're stuck, you don't know how long you're stuck for. 
If someone were to able to jump into the future and say, you're going to be stuck in an airport for 11 and a half hours. Oh, cool. Let's just go and grab something to eat and we'll be back, right? But when those 11 hours turns into three days, do we get a hotel? Do we sleep here on the floor? You know, that's when people get, well, a little angry, a little frustrated. When Joshua said to the army, it's time, it's time. This was not an overnight plan. They had been talking about this plan. They knew about this plan from their fathers. They knew about this plan from their grandfathers. They had been talking about taking and conquering the promised land for 40 years. This was the plan that everybody dreamed about. So when Joshua said, it's time, can you imagine the excitement of these men who were trained for battle? They now put their uniforms on, they tied up their boots, they had their weapons, and they say, let's go. And I'm sure somewhere there was an oorah in there somewhere. And they began to move out. And when they got to the river's edge of Jordan, because they had to cross the Jordan from the east to the west in order to get to the promised land, all of a sudden there was like change of plans. Change of plans. Watch. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, probably 0400, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went over the Jordan. Went to the Jordan, not over the Jordan. They went to the Jordan. Watch. Where they camped. What? We're camping? <laughs> Before crossing over. I didn't get that memo. I'd already got my uniform on. I got my canteen ready. I got my, my, you know, all my weapons ready. I thought we were going, you told us we were going over. Now we're camping. Now watch. We're reading on this side of the story. They didn't know how long the delay was going to be, right? Watch. After three days, they didn't know it was going to be three days. Could have been 33 days. How long are we going to be camping here? Didn't get a memo. Waiting is very difficult. A change of pace is very difficult. After three days, the officers went through the camp and they started giving orders to the people. And then we'll pick up the story. But you can see like, hey, wait a minute, right? But if they were going to be in solidarity with the leader, and with the plan and with the strategy, they, they have to say to themselves, okay, maybe the leader doesn't, maybe the leader knows something that we don't know. Now listen, if I'm in an airport and I gotta wait, and I, I've, I've come in, probably you have to late, you know, the late midnight flight that comes into Sarasota. Man, I've been on those more times than I, I know. One time I arrived at three in the morning because they kept pushing the flight out, 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 okay? I handled it beautifully. There was no frustration. I'm like, come on. These guys are stupid, right? Well, you might not know there's something happening behind the scenes, like these two airlines I'm referring to. Uh, uh, you know, in the past week, there's been a shortage of pilots. Well, I personally want that to be taken care of. You know, in other words, I don't want them to just put me on a flight just to make me happy and somebody, you know, that provides the food for the plane is now driving the plane or flying the plane or whatever they do. If you ever get on a plane, you happen to glance in the cockpit and I'm in there, don't do it. I mean, you're not, and I'm not doing it for you either. <laughs> and in fact, I feel like I want to interview the person that's in the cockpit. You've done this before, right? Just before I get it, because I know there's a shortage of 
We don't know what the problem is. It's not just because somewhere in the back room, these airlines said, I'll tell you what, let's just frustrate a lot of people and make them wait. Why did they wait three days? We don't know. We still don't know. But God has a reason. Same thing with the disciples. Man, they were geared up. God, Jesus had just, man, he had pumped them up. He's back from the dead. Acts chapter 1, and he's saying, man, we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're moving there from Judea. We're going to go to Samaria. And we're going to go, guys, to the ends of the earth. Exciting, right? I mean, you're armed, ready to go. Acts chapter 1, four, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, after he came back from the dead, he gave them this command. Hey, don't leave. Um... I was thinking that there was a, hey, wait a minute. Don't leave, no, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about a lot. For John baptized with water, but in a few days. Now, I'm going to not tell you the time or the exact day, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of the, I, I really enjoyed watching the Olympics. I shared that with you. I love their investment. I love the discipline. I love uh, their, for the most part, their patriotism. I love seeing that. There have been some heartbreaking moments. There always is. You see the guy on the skateboard that slammed into the, to the railing and like, oh man, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, I'll tell you one of the most heartbreaking moments. I, just, I saw it just a few days ago. It was in the track and field event. All, the, all these runners, man, I mean, they are like impeccable shape, physical shape. They get down, you know, on the line, on your mark, get set, right, fire the gun. The guy from Great Britain left about 0.13 seconds. That's like a nanosecond early. Well, it used to be that were like, whoop, got to start over. Somebody jumped the gun. Not anymore. And the reason they didn't, they don't do it anymore is that guys kept cheating, to be honest with you. They kept starting and false starting on purpose. And they had to call everybody back. And there was kind of, they, they were kind of throwing they were, the other guys. They don't do that anymore. One time, you're out. So they show the card, you're out. So this guy started literally just a nanosecond uh, too soon. And you could see him walk off the field and have to watch the other guys run. So... I, I looked it up. I'm like, is, is, that, is that right? In fact, I brought a new on my phone this morning. And I thought, you know, do they do that like time, like a, a musician would have a metronome, like on your mark, get set, go. So you could anticipate the regularness of it, right? Nope. The guy that's firing the gun, he, he's like on your mark, get set, and he's waiting to see that everybody is settled. And then he fires it. So it's on your mark. Get set. You feel it? <laughs> if you were on the line. And so they've got to wait. And I thought, man, so the coaches now are coaching. And uh, because there's a scientific study that says human beings can't think that fast. They can't think in a tenth of a second. So instead of trying to control the reaction times, coaches lay focus on how athletes respond to uncontrollable barriers. The minor ones, including random noises, like on your mark, get set, whoop, go. 
See, life is full of sniffs, right? Life is full of random things that say, let's go, because we think, man, we're going to go. What do we mean by this? What What we're learning here is that God says, I want you to work in my pace. Don't get ahead of me. And don't get behind me. Try to find a rhythm. Look, this thing that we call Christianity is not just about being okay with God. It is living with God. It is being in rhythm with God. Are you in rhythm with God Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday or Monday through Sunday? In rhythm with God, like he's moving. I want to move. Or man, I don't want to miss him. Or I'm I'm really impatient. There's some people sitting right here in the room, and I know it, that you are frustrated because God is moving slower. And you can't figure out why. You can't figure it out. There are times when a team moves at a certain pace, you can't figure it out. Just, I think the message is, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Just find the rhythm of God. Here's the second principle. It's tough. Oh, this is tough. This is maybe the toughest thing we got to hear today. We have to be pliable with our positions. In other words, we have deeply held opinions about certain things. And I believe that there, those opinions are becoming more and more deeply held as, as, as things are unraveling in front of us, right? And there are times when we have these positions that we're kind of camped in them. And physically, this is the picture that we get in in the very next uh, phrase. Let me explain just the very beginning of this. When then Joshua said in uh, verse three of chapter three, when you see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, let me just explain that the Ark of the Covenant is not, you know, just an Indiana Jones movie. (laughs) This was the centerpiece of the. Of the, of the Israelites. This was sacred to them because the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. If it moved, we moved. If it stayed, we stayed. It contained the tablets that God had given to Moses. It was the word of God. It was the absolute. There was not one single individual in the entire team who didn't recognize the word of God is absolute. Breaking news. That ain't the case in today's culture. We have to say, man, that the word of God is going to be our guide. So when the ark moved, they moved. When the ark stayed, they stayed. When they lost the ark, catastrophe. So Jesus, uh, Jesus, Joshua said, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites who are carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. And follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I bet you if I said, hey, how many have been to the Grand Canyon? Let's just do it. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Mm-hmm. How many of you guys have been to Niagara Falls? How many of you guys have been to Chuck E. Cheese? All right. <laughs> Even more hands. See, there's something. How many people know Gumby? Okay, we'll go back to that. How many people have lived on August 9th 2021. 
That's tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> You're the same people thought you knew Chester Arthur. You know? <laughs> Nobody has lived tomorrow. It is an unknown. Nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. So we have to be pliable in where we have camped. There are sometimes we're like, no, God, this is where I am. I've built this neat little fire, you know, this campfire. I've got my, you know, cutting station over here. I'm over here, blah, blah, blah. And if we're not pliable in our positions and the word of God moves and we don't move with it, we will not be in solidarity with God or with each other. Let me give you some examples. Over the years and more recent, probably in the last five, six, seven years, if, if a, you have a friend who's living a certain lifestyle and they're so nice and they're good people and they probably are. And that lifestyle doesn't line up with the word of God. We often say the lifestyle now trumps the word of God. It cannot. So I know, as I told you last week, I know people that are not that don't know Christ yet. that are nicer than people that do know Christ, to be honest with you. And I say, well, they're nice. Not the criteria. It's not the criteria. You see, the word of God is moving like this. And we must move from our cultural positions and follow the word. Does that make sense? We'll never go wrong. We'll never go wrong. Because I will tell you, there is one person who has lived on August 9th, 2021. His name is God. He knows where we're going. See, he's, Joshua said, dude, you guys don't know where you're going. You've never been to Jericho. You don't know what to expect. You're going to freak out unless you follow the word of God. I'm reminded today in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'm going to have faith that God is around the corner and I can't see it. Therefore, I got to, I got to track. I got to track with the word of God. Uh, I'm reminded in Proverbs 12, 15 today. That a way of a fool seems right to him. All my positions seem right to me or wouldn't be my position. Right? I don't think I think I'll hold tightly to this position. I know it's wrong. Who says that? You think your positions are right. I think my positions are, are right. And one day you will have a revelation that I'm right. See, that's how that normally is. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And finally, Psalm 119, 105, your word, God, is a lamp unto my feet, and it's the only light for my path. We must be pliable in our positions. Here's the final thing. We've got to be pliable about our place. About our place. You come to an important meeting, do you just go right to the head of the table? That may not be your place. That may be reserved for someone. Joshua says something amazing here because there was a sacredness about God that I do believe as evangelicals that we, we sometimes run the risk of. Okay, Let me, I'm going to go a little deeper. As we're, you know, becoming more contemporary in our approach to God, Jesus is our friend and this, that, and the other, nothing wrong with that. My concern is that we might lose, we might have the potential of losing the sacredness of God, the holiness of God, the respect, the fear. It's called the fear, meaning deep respect for God. Of course, he's our friend. We want, we're his child, etc. But my kids, I, I'm, I'm their dad, but there's still a certain level of respect 
that we have, right? That it's in a family union. And so in that day, Joshua says, I don't want you to forget your place. Watch this. He says, but keep a distance between you and the ark, about a thousand yards, okay? That's 10 football fields. 10 football fields. If we could put that on the screen, it's Joshua 3, verse 4. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, and don't go near it. Know your place. You're not God. You're not God. And then he says this, but Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. You will do the Lord will do amazing things among you. Okay. Now I recognize that consecrate is not a word that we use commonly. Right. So put on your thinking hat with me just for a second as we end here. Right. There's a word that's used in, in, in the Bible called sanctify. Sanctify, like if you grew up in a, in a formal church like I did, and we sang sanctus, 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 it comes from the word holy, okay? God will never say sanctify yourselves because we can't. It is God that makes us holy. In other words, this is the point, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. He understood that we were broken that we were fractured, that we were sinners, that we were imperfect. We were flawed from the moment we took our first breath, born from our mother's womb. That's what David says. We were sinners from the moment we were born. We can't, that's why you don't have to teach kids how to misbehave, right? It's just kind of a natural thing. Self-focused, right? And, and the message of the Bible is not get more religions. The message of the Bible is not get your act together and modify your behavior so that you can now stand before God, you can't do that. In fact, the Bible says the opposite, that your righteous acts, your great behavior is like filthy rags, which is like, well, that's kind of weird, because God recognizes that intrinsically we're broken and that we're fractured, and we cannot by any human measure make ourselves right or sanctified or holy before God that's why Christ came to die for us in our place so that he now forgives our sins if we embrace him and transfer our trust to him. And now we actually, as broken individuals, are standing before a God who's looking through the lenses of the sacrifice of Christ and actually sees us as holy. That's super great news, right? <laughs> So it is he that sanctifies us or kind of holy eyes us to make us okay. But now Joshua says, but here's what you do. You can't sanctify yourself, but you consecrate yourselves. What does that mean? Well, I found a great definition from a guy named Jenison Franklin. Talks, he's a great writer on fasting, by the way. Consecration means dethroning yourself. And enthroning Jesus as Lord of your life. In other words, change your place. Are you driving your own life? Are you in front of the ark or behind the ark? Are you in front of God or behind God? I'm going to live my life like I want it. And I'll throw a little God in there. Sometimes that's not God in front. That's God behind, right? So put Jesus in his rightful place, dethroning yourself. It's the complete divesture of all self-interest. It's giving to God 
veto power. It's surrendering all of you to all of him. It's a simple recognition uh, that every second of your time, that every ounce of your energy, that every penny of your money is a gift from God and a gift for God. Consecration is an ever-deepening love for Jesus, a childlike trust in your heavenly Father, and a blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. So the word for to you today is consecrate yourself. God cannot, will not, cannot do that for you. It's coming to God and saying, God, I'm out here in front of you. I got I to gotta be pliable. I got to change my place. Now, Man, I wish I could tell you that, you know what? I did that 39 years ago, and man, am I dethroned. <laughs> I dethroned myself this morning. I modified it. I'm like, I changed my place. And I'll have to do it probably sometime before 3 p.m. this afternoon. And I'll have to do it again tomorrow morning and probably, you know, somewhere mid-morning. In other words, it is a constant because our gravitational pull is toward ourself. And we have to be continually gumby to say, whoa, 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 get in front of God, get in front of God, get in front of God. And back it up and be pliable in that place. That makes sense? Let me, let me, I want to close today with an audio clip for you. And the audio clip comes from South Africa. South Africa is on fire with our disciple-making tools right now. This week has been riveting. God is just opening up the door in so many places. This week alone, small circle trainings to Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, Philippines, Japan, Rwanda, South Africa, and New York. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what God is doing. Yeah. <laughs> And so um, the, the, open, the, the open doors are going like this, that there are others that are doing the training. The pastor that is training in South Africa is super strategic. His name is Fumsile Stofile, Pastor Stofile. And they speak a language, uh, and, and they have uh, nine different provinces, and they speak this language in their, in their where Cape Town is, called Exicosa. It's one of those languages that has a lot of clicks to it. There's not a lot of materials that are being printed in this language, by the way. Or from this corner to the corners of the world we have. And so three weeks ago, he's, so Pastor Sophile has trainings every Saturday for starting a few weeks ago for the next six weeks. 300 pastors will be trained. Just in, just in this time period, six, four, five, six weeks, all right? Three weeks ago, unexpectedly, his father dies. You could tell he was so broken. And in Africa, the funeral is a big deal. It requires a lot of investment, and in it's a way to honor the person who's died. And so I said, let's put the trainings on hold. No, we must press ahead, must press ahead. Four days ago, his mom dies. I know. I said, pa I said, Pastor Stofile, 
you can hold up. I thought maybe he's asking, looking for permission from me. He said, it's okay. We can, we can pause this. And then he sends me this WhatsApp audio message that it just stopped me in my tracks because it reminded me of a man that has passion, that the ark is moving. and so I'm going to move with the ark. I'm going to be in God's pacing. So when you see the picture, you'll see a man sitting in a blue coat. He's to the right of the blue coat on the front line. This is Pastor Stofile, and here's his message to us. Hi, Pastor Stofile. No, thank you so much, man. Thanks. Um, truly appreciate your 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 kind words, um, uh, Pastor Steve. We can only do um, that much when the people are still alive. After they are gone from us, um, there's nothing that we can do on our side except to give us ourselves space to heal and, uh, and continue with the work of the ministry. My concern is that um, the group is ready and we've already made arrangements with them for this Saturday and the next Saturday and the next the challenge is we don't know when the fourth wave will come. There are rumors that there is a fourth wave coming in South Africa. So I think we need to do as much as possible while we still have the opportunity uh, to gather the people and to disseminate the information. This information that I'm having here, I'm busy now with the translation, continuing with the Africans translation. This is a matter of life and death. You know, um, it must get to the hands of the people as soon as possible so that discipleship and the grounding of, of, of Christians is, is, is prioritized. So let's get this work to the right hands, to the right people as soon as we can and as fast as we can. Stunning. Those are moments for me that I'm like, I need to dethrone. It was about my agenda today, about my projects today, about my accomplishment today. And by the way, I want you to know that I was holding my phone. These guys were on WhatsApp and every one of them took a turn. And they said, please thank your church family. Because we don't get a lot of materials in our language. And they're deeply thankful. So let me pass on to you. Thank you for being a church that's willing to be from our corner to the corner of the world. They're on the playing field and they didn't see what was coming and neither do we. We don't know the way, but we have a God that is in front of us. We must follow him. Things may get more challenging in our culture. We must be pliable in solidarity. Thank you for joining us and special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.